Hi, this is Richard Lanford. I'm the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. You know, preaching on Mother's Day used to be something that I avoided. In fact, there were some Sundays in the past where I wouldn't preach on it, you know, or I would include it in the pastoral prayer, certainly, but uh, I'd follow the lectionary and, you know, because, you know, that's a civic holiday and um, you know, we're about religious holidays, but I, I've become less rigid. I even had a parishioner at my first church kind of tell me that she was upset I didn't preach about it, and I listened to that and matured a bit. But as a as a fa- as not as someone who's not a parent, I'm not a father, uh, and I'm not a mother. I used to say, "How can I preach knowingly about Mother's Day?" And then someone said, "Well, you had a mother." Uh, that's true. And sometimes I have stories about my mom in my sermons. Not this Sunday. Um, I'm going to look to mothers of the past, particularly in Scripture, for inspiration for today's message, which is called Some Scriptural Moms or Some Scriptural Mothers. Not the greatest title, but um, what's more important is what comes after. So I hope you find some, some blessing or inspiration in this, uh, this message. Dan Gunther is our lector, and he'll be reading, as he says he will, from Exodus and 2 Timothy, and then from the lectionary, the Gospel according to John, from chapter 10. Before going further, as I often do, I invite you to join me in the Spirit for a brief time of prayer. Eternal One, we give you thanks for this opportunity to listen to an exposition of your word and to your word itself. Consecrate this time to the edification of our souls. Build us up, strengthen us, bring us joy and inspiration as we give you thanks for all the gifts that come from moms and family and those who are like moms. In the name of Jesus Christ, who himself was blessed by his mother and a member of a family, but who also knew those who were not so fortunate. In his name we pray, amen. Our first reading is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, then 16 through 19. The background, some of you will remember, is that out of fear, the Egyptian pharaoh has ordered that all male Hebrew babies be killed after they are born. The Hebrew midwives were already disobeying that order with a ready excuse. Our story picks up after that. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. 
This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she thought him, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him to her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and laid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? Now verses 16 through 19, Moses had fled to the land of Midian. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filling the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come back so soon today? They said, An Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. This ends the reading of Exodus. Our epistle lesson is from the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This ends the reading from 2 Timothy. For those who are able, please stand up for the reading of the gospel. Today's Gospel is John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. Jesus is challenged by some of the Jewish leaders who do not believe in him. Part of his reply refers back to when he recently was talking about himself as the Good Shepherd, who will lay down his life for the sheep. He also teaches about his relationship to God the Creator or the Father. That last part will trigger some of those folks to get ready to stone him. 
At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Here ends the reading of the Gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. This, from Pastor Timothy Beal of Central United Methodist Church, one of my colleagues in Skokie, he wrote, and he knows I'm borrowing this, in the 1870s, the 1870s, Julia Ward High, horrified by the brutality of modern warfare, established Mother's Day as a day for peace. Her call to women to work for suffrage and peace was just as political and divisive after the Franco-Prussian War as it would be today. Some decades later, Anna Jarvis picked up the mantle of advocating for a Mother's Day celebration that beckoned Americans and women around the world to embrace nonviolence as a way to honor their mothers. And his mother, Anne Jarvis, served prisoners of war on both sides of the Civil War and fought to improve sanitation in poor communities like her own and therefore eradicate disease. Anna's efforts helped the holiday Mother's Day catch national emphasis and national interest. Soon, however, with the commercialization of Mother's Day to sell cards and flowers, Anna Jarvis protested against the holiday she helped create. Yes, the woman who called for peace and a celebration of the mothers who stood up for justice was arrested for disturbing the peace after the markets drowned out the original meaning of her call for a Mother's Day. Mother's Day continues to be complex and even controversial, the holiday reminds us, Tim says, of deep pains, that not all women who wish to be mothers are able, that many people struggle from difficult relationships with and as mothers, and many of our mothers have passed on. Departing from Pastor Beale, Anne Lamont reposted on Facebook last week something she'd previously written going into some detail that I will not go into about some of the feelings Mother's Day can bring to the surface to the point of suggesting some moms are uncomfortable with being singled out as more heroic than anyone else. Wherever you stand with regards to the leaked Roe v. Wade ruling, it is ironic that it came out the week before Mother's Day. Regardless of all of this, I think it's safe to say that we want to honor mothers. Looking to scripture, a few mothers stand out for their prophetic examples. And no, I'm not 
thinking of Jesus' mother Mary, although she would qualify with her Magnificat sung out in Luke's Gospel. This morning, let us look to some other scriptural moms who understood risks in pursuit of life and nourishing the faith. You heard Dan read the story of Moses' birth in the context of Pharaoh's edict that all male Hebrew babies were to be drowned in the Nile at birth or otherwise killed. Hebrew midwives already were making up excuses for the boys surviving, and then our story starts. Moses' mother, whose name is not given here, later on she's given the name Jochebed, hid him for three months. Like the midwives, she too defied Pharaoh's law and preserved her son's life as long as she could hide him. Then, as we heard, she made a basket of papyrus, bitumen, and pitch and put him in it in the reeds of the bank of the Nile. This was a great risk. What's going to happen to him? But what else could she do but take this risk, given the law? She committed civil disobedience. Her daughter Miriam, you could say, was a collaborator. So was the maid to Pharaoh's daughter, who is in so quickly it's easy to miss. But the maid to Pharaoh's daughter, she is the one who went, after being told, to go check out this basket in the reeds. And she could have ratted him out to the authorities, the maid could have. And then there's Pharaoh's daughter herself, who said, all right, let's go with this baby. These women all flouted a man's ruling in the interests of saving a little boy's life. And his mother ended up raising her own child with Pharaoh's daughter's approval. She got paid for raising her son. How about that, moms? But the three women and the daughter all took risks with the powers that be. Well, somehow this spirit was passed down to Moses himself. Raised in his family of origin with a sense of identity as a Hebrew, despite Egyptian patronage, Moses was loyal to his roots even after Pharaoh's daughter took him over, took him in. Who knows? Perhaps she too inculcated in him a respect for his tribe. So when, as a man, he saw an Egyptian beating up one of his fellow Hebrews, he overreacted to the point of killing the Egyptian. And later, the next day, in fact, he tried to teach peace to two of his fellow Hebrews who were fighting each other. He was also raised to have compassion and courage. I kept in the part of his story where he defended, usually he's called Jethro, the future father-in-law, where he defended Jethro's daughters so they could get water for their flock, and he even watered them himself. Defending and taking care of the vulnerable who had been driven away, and not selfishly ingratiating himself for a reward. That was young Moses as he'd been raised against Pharaoh's orders. Moses would spend much of his later life mediating conflicts with his, within his delivered people in the desert. And the law he got from the Lord was compassionate and welcoming to the sojourners, or aliens, would come to share land with their descendants. It was risky to preserve that boy's life and raise him under Pharaoh's finances and family. But history proves their faith was rewarded. 
The risk was worth taking, and then some. Having kids. Some of you may know or remember, there was a time when Beth and I were trying to get pregnant. And as a pastor, speaking for myself and any pastor, I suppose, you wonder, as I did, how to be spread so thin between full-time pastoring and being a dad as present as possible. How do you do it? So I got to meet up with Carolyn and Bruce Gillette at a seminary class reunion. And uh, they had three children. They were pastors. So I asked them, how do you do it? Well, we had a fine discussion between friends and colleagues, and I still remember Bruce telling me that time has shown again and again that the most effective and successful unit for passing on the faith is the family of faith. The church has a significant role and pledges to fulfill their role as best as possible during the baptismal covenant, but the family is the primo marine. This is what Paul is talking about in his epistle lesson. He wrote to his travel companion and his possible protege, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois. I always think of Lois Dennis when I read that. And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. The mom's passing on the faith. They were not committing civil disobedience like their forebears in faith, but they were breaking off, Paul implies, from their strictly Jewish faith as Timothy became one of his fellow evangelists. And we learn from the book of Acts, chapter 16, that Lois was Jewish. Her husband was Greek. And lots of Jewish people, if you remember the, the Bible, you know, lots of Jewish people were not fans of Jesus or his new following, going back to when he was walking the earth. But she became a follower, and she was part probably of the first groups of Jewish converts. And then came her daughter Eunice, who also was either raised or became a Christian, but matrilinearly she was Jewish. And by this time, in, between, in the time between Jesus and Paul, the divide between Jews and Christians had started to be a touch more strained. And then Timothy is born, and he grows up. So in three generations, in one family, and Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. This all happened within a few decades of time. And the women took risks in their own way to identify primarily with Jesus as the Christ, possibly ostracizing them from any Jewish leaders or powerful persons in their community. These women opened themselves to the possibility of harassment and alienation, but we hear of nothing bad happening. And Timothy does not grow up with resentments related to his learning and living the faith, but rather he became an evangelist for it. Now, Timothy was no Moses, but let us listen to the rest of what Dan read. He lauds the faith in the family and immediately goes on, for this reason, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So Paul is exhorting Timothy to be a good steward, to rekindle the gifts, to be a good steward of the gifts God had given him, which he could receive by faith because he had received the faith. 
through the witness and words of Eunice and Lois. He was given power. You know, power, love, self, uh, self-discipline. The Greek word here for power is the same one we get the word in English dynamite from, dunamis. The spirit of dunamis. This is no little gift that he had been given and received by faith. He was given love, power and love. He was given love through the spirit and the, and the gifts. And you know there are more words for love in the Greek than one, but yes, I checked the Greek and it is agape love. The love the agape, amazing grace God has for even the worst of us in the world. The gift of agape. Not cowardice, but the spirit of power and agape love. And then self-discipline. Or as the old RSV put it, self-control. Timothy is told to rekindle those, baby. Be a good steward of the gift you've been given, like your family probably taught you to be a good steward. Power like unto dynamite, agape love, and self-control in a world where there is less each advancing each year. These are great spiritual gifts to have, and Timothy has them in part due to the lives of his mother and grandmother in the face of cultural divisions over Christ. Now, there are no guarantees. Moms are only human like the rest of us. Even families of faith have very different directions over time, let alone different theologies. Almighty God has purposes for all of us, regardless of our family status. What those purposes can be, well, that can be a mystery we long pursue. So when it is a long time, if we're not sure what our purposes are or how they're filling out, um, we need to keep the faith. Sometimes, as Pastor Beal more than implied, sometimes parents and grandparents are the inspiration for people getting involved to take on injustice, corruption, dehumanization of each other, the climate crisis, poverty, racism, sexism, and more. Many find purpose in these efforts. Remember the wall of moms? who came out to protect protesters against systemic racism and police brutality in Portland late July 2020? Hannah Ray Lambert of KOIN-TV in Portland reported, the self-described wall of moms lined the fence around the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse Sunday evening in an effort to protect protesters. It was the group's second appearance at the downtown demonstrations. Several of the moms also helped wash their eyes after federal officers deployed tear gas and other crowd control munitions. We come out here and yell in large numbers, said Edie, a protester. Now, Ms. Lambert, the reporter, said via Twitter, earlier this evening, I caught up with a couple of the moms who were here last night. Courtney and Heather say they got hit with pepper balls. Quote, but it's nothing compared to childhood. Another quote, we're all moms, and we're here to keep these guys safe because they have a right to peaceful protest. Lauren, one of the members of the group, told KOIN 6 News earlier in the evening Sunday, if we don't stand up now, we're not going to have a chance to stand up later. 
They may not be Moses' mom or sister or Pharaoh's daughter or Lois or Eunice, but to quote Pastor Beal again, but something else in what he wrote, this is not repeating something I said before, looking at peace and justice movements in the 21st century, we will almost certainly find women and mothers at the forefront. The Holy Spirit continues to move in our hearts to mobilize for a realized shalom in our own location. Our hearts sing for the mothers who taught us about the joy God brings when we see the needs of our neighbors and God's justice enacted by deeds of compassion and care. Them and perhaps their kids who learn faith and peaceful protest for moral values rooted in their gospel faith from their families and their churches. I believe I've seen some grown-up church kids already out there doing just that over the last handful of days. Amen. That will do it for this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. If there's a slight difference in the sound quality of the sermon itself, we did have to excerpt it from our live stream recording on YouTube because I forgot to take the phone from where the lector recorded over to the pulpit where I record the sermon. So I think that's called user error. In this case, the user being the user of the technology to record it. But thank you for listening very much. I hope that you got something out of the message, a different kind of message for Mother's Day. Uh, but all the same, I hope that there was something in there for, for everyone who listens. Next Sunday, which will be May 15th, we'll be celebrating a baptism. And you can be sure that the message will have something to do with that, with baptism. Until then, may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.